0: Nothing's better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star, or a tech nomad working from anywhere. Allbirds wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes, too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are so cozy, you might forget you're wearing them. And they're crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. So get comfortable in your shoes. Get to know the wool runners, pipers, and loungers at allbirds.com. That's A L L B I R D S.com. Welcome to Unexplained Extra, with me, Richard MacLean Smith. For the weeks in between episodes, we look at the stories that for one reason or other didn't make it into the show. In last week's episode, The Spaces That Linger, we journeyed to the grounds of Boleskine House on the banks of Loch Ness in the highlands of Scotland. Although the house has long been the subject of dark intrigue, it is perhaps best known for its association with author and occultist Alastair Crowley. The house had been selected by Crowley as the perfect place to conduct a magic ritual known as the Abramelin Operation. The operation is in principle a spell to make contact with one's guardian angel, one that also requires calling forth the demons known as the Twelve Kings of Hell. The invocation required an ascetic concentration which was to last an obligatory six months. Failure to adhere to the correct time frame could, some believed, leave a gateway open for the demons to escape. Crowley is thought to have begun the ritual in the Easter of 1900, but famously left it incomplete. Four years later, Crowley would finally make contact with his guardian angel. It was an event that would change his life forever, and one that has established Crowley in legend far beyond any of his peers. After breaking off the ritual, Crowley spent some time in Paris with his friend Samuel Mathers, only for their relationship to ultimately turn sour. He returned to Scotland and became friendly with a young painter known as Gerald Kelly. Kelly would later be known as Sir Gerald Kelly, President of the Royal Academy. After spending some time with Kelly at his family home in Strathpeffer in Scotland, Crowley met and became close to Gerald's sister, Rose Kelly a widower now betrothed unhappily to another man. In a characteristically impulsive gesture, Crowley suggested she marry him to ward off the unwanted suitor. The pair eloped the following day, on August 12, 1903. Despite the apparent flippancy of the gesture, it would seem that Crowley, a man who had always been enthralled to his own heightened sense of sexuality, felt a growing magnetism between them. Revelling in the scandalous behaviour, Crowley and Rose returned to Boleskine House before embarking on an extended honeymoon to Cairo. And it is there that the story takes a peculiar turn. After arriving in Cairo, in what had become a feature of Crowley's life, Alistair adopted the pseudonym Prince Choya Khan. The pair took up residence in an apartment which Crowley had had partially converted to mimic an Egyptian temple. They told all who cared to listen that they had been granted the rank of prince and princess by an unnamed eastern sultan. At some time, Crowley attempted a ritual for the benefit of Rose, who was by this point pregnant with Crowley's first child. The operation, known as the Bornless Ritual, is the preliminary invocation to the Ars Goetia, which in turn forms the first book of the infamous Lesser Key of Solomon. The book, also known as the Lemegaton, was compiled anonymously sometime in the 17th century and is considered a primary text of demonology, with the Ars Goetia detailing no less than 72 demons for invocation. It is not clear exactly what Crowley had intended with the ritual, though some suggest he had grown impatient with his new wife and had taken to teasing her with his magic obsession. However, after a short bout of chanting, Rose began acting strangely. She had fallen into some kind of trance and had started to mutter something. They are waiting for you, she said. The irritated Crowley, who at this point, despite years of trying, had never actually made contact with any of the spirits he had tried to invoke, demanded to know who Rose was talking to. It was the ancient Egyptian god, Horus, she replied. She told Crowley he had offended the god, an incredulous Crowley took Rose immediately to the nearby Bulak Museum, now known as the Egyptian Museum of Antiquities, to identify the deity she claimed to be in communication with. Arriving shortly after at the museum, Rose proceeded to lead Crowley past a number of holy and ancient Egyptian artifacts before finally coming to a stop in front of an intricately decorated piece of wood known as a stele. More precisely, it was the stele of revealing ...and dated from around 680 BC. Sure enough, the beautiful piece of funerary art... ...on the right-hand side depicts a recently deceased priest... ...making an offering to the falcon-headed god Ra-Harakti... ...an amalgamation of the sun god Ra and Horus. Rhodes, at least to Crowley's mind, seemed to be telling the truth. Crowley was convinced further... ...when he looked down to find the exhibition number of the artefact the number was 666. 666, as many will know, is equated with the number of the beast as depicted in the book of Revelation. The number has become synonymous with the Antichrist and Satan and all their dark and evil connotations. To Crowley, however, it meant something a little different. It was Crowley's mother who first labelled him the Beast, presumably in reaction to a young Crowley's burgeoning rejection of the family's puritanical beliefs. To Crowley, it was a label that he would gleefully come to embrace. To some, it was evidence of Crowley's innate wickedness, but for others, it spoke of nothing more than his refusal to accept what he saw as the arbitrary labels and morals of the Christian faith. The moniker served ultimately as a symbol of Crowley's core belief. A belief that was soon to be articulated in the most extraordinary of circumstances. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's t-e-l-a-d-o-c dot com slash unexplained podcast. After the visit to the museum... The couple returned to their Cairo apartment where Rose is believed to have instructed Crowley on how to communicate with Horace. On April 8, 1904 Crowley commenced a new ritual now under the guidance of Rose. A short time later he heard a voice that seemed to be coming from behind his shoulder. Crowley later claimed the voice belonged to an entity known as Iwas who presented itself as none other than Crowley's own guardian angel the same entity with which he had been trying to communicate in Boleskin House. Iwas told Crowley that he was the messenger of Horace and instructed Alistair to be ready at twelve noon every day for the next three days in order to receive his word. Sure enough, over the course of the next three days, Iwas is believed to have returned to speak to Crowley, who in turn wrote down every word that he received. When the three days were over, Crowley had before him the document that would become his true legacy. The book was titled Liber el Vel Legis, or The Book of the Law. Regardless of your belief or its true provenance, the text is a fascinating document which sets out Crowley's ideas for a brand new religion that he would later come to call Thelema, which is still followed and practiced today. As the author Colin Wilson points out, there is nothing particularly original about the text, comparing it as he does to the far superior Man and Superman by George Bernard Shaw, as well as pointing out its clear indebtedness to the philosophy of Nietzsche. However, it does suggest that Crowley was more than the brainless charlatan his detractors would have him be. Certainly for Crowley at least, the text was nothing less than the Bible for his new religion an attempt to obliterate the reigning monotheistic religions and usher in a new epoch for man, one based on liberation without restriction and one that above all implored people to follow their own path. It is a philosophy perhaps best summed up by the book's most famous line, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. A basic idea that is often greatly misunderstood as the justification of selfish or immoral behavior. A situation all the more ironic, since what Crowley ultimately preached was the complete control of life for oneself, and not to have it defined by what other people might project onto it. In the years that followed on from the Cairo trip, it is fair to say that Crowley lived a fairly colourful life the extent to which we'll not be done justice in the time we have here. Suffice to say, there are plenty of books and documentaries out there for anyone interested in finding out more about his life. It is also fair to say that much of his life was shrouded in controversy, and to many, some of it will seem unpalatable, sadistic even. His voracious commitment to the practice of sex magic and the insanely chaotic attempt to form a Thelema community on the island of Sicily are just two aspects that come to mind. But for me, it all comes back to the book of the law. Whether you believe that Crowley was blessed with genuine magic powers or not, and there are many who do, there is something deeply profound at the heart of his belief that speaks to us all. For Crowley, magic was really just an expression of the power of human will, that anybody, in a sense, could conduct magic, providing they had a sufficient control of their own will. In 2004, Carla Hoff, lead economist of the World Bank and Priyanka Pandey of Pennsylvania University, conducted an extraordinary experiment for the World Bank. Titled Belief Systems and Durable Inequalities, an Experimental Investigation of Indian Caste, the experiment asked 321 low-caste and 321 high-caste male junior high school students to perform a number of maze-solving tasks under economic incentives. What the examiners found was nothing short of remarkable. When the individual's cast was not publicly announced, there were no caste differences in performance. However, when the test subject was required to publicly announce their caste, the number of mazes solved by low-caste boys dropped by a dramatic 25%. In other words, When the lower caste individuals were freed from the stigma or the label with which the surrounding environment and society had forced on them, they performed exactly the same as their higher caste peers. It's hard not to see this as a vindication of Crowley's beliefs, a glaring example of how often people can be made to feel they can only be the thing that they have been told they can be. At the risk of sounding glib, it is a reminder that, for me, no religion political party, media outlet or social movement is the arbiter of what is and what isn't right. A reminder that we should never be afraid to be who we want to be, in spite of how we feel the world might want us to be. Crowley's Do What Thou Wilt is a cry to look beyond social convention and the narrow definitions with which others might attempt to define us, encouraging each of us to exercise our right to determine who we are or should be on our own terms. If this series has been about anything in particular, it is to question what the truth really is. That the truth, and in a sense the world, can and will be manipulated. And I don't say this because I want to encourage it necessarily, but rather to encourage people to remain vigilant, to question everything, and not just to believe what you are told, and above all, to fight for your truth, because whoever controls that story, controls you. But I must stress, this is not a denigration of expertise or an attempt to encourage the scourge of anti-intellectualism that has been creeping into our society. If that latest report dismissing climate change is funded by a major petroleum conglomerate, you might want to think twice before quoting it to your friends. And when politicians start telling you to ignore the experts, it's worth considering just who might have the strongest ulterior motive. While writing this, I was reminded of a speech by the sublime author David Foster Wallace that I believe has parallels with some of what Crowley represented. The speech, which I urge anyone who hasn't heard it to seek out online, is Foster Wallace's commencement speech to students of Kenyan College in Ohio in the United States. His message reminds us to value the totally obvious every day, even in the smallest of ways, to try to see all perspectives, and to exercise control over what we think. It is a reminder that we have the power to choose what we pay attention to, and it is for us, and us only, to choose how we construct meaning from our experiences. As Foster Wallace says, if you really learn how to think, how to pay attention, then you will know you have other options. It will actually be within your power to experience a crowded, hot, slow, consumer-hell type situation as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire with the same force that lit the stars. Love, fellowship, the mystical oneness of all things deep down. Not that that mystical stuff is necessarily true. The only thing that is capital T true is that you get to decide how you're going to see it. That is true freedom. You get to decide what has meaning and what doesn't. In short, you might say that true freedom is complete attention and awareness, for surely the alternative is unconsciousness. And yet... There are, of course, some who believe that the unconscious is the true consciousness. But that is another story. This episode concludes the first season of Unexplained, marking the final chapter in our present journey into the strange and mysterious. I will be back later in the year with a brand new season, where I'll be attempting something a little more ambitious, so please look out online for announcements about that. I want to once again thank each and every one of you who has found the time to listen to the show, for rating and reviewing, and especially for all your incredible messages of support. Thank you. All Elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or on Twitter at UnexplainedPod. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist, to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's t-e-l-a-d-o-c dot com slash unexplained podcast.